Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. This is our Southridge member podcast designed to give people the inside scoops on uh, life in our church. Uh, I'm here today uh, to share in the personal journey of one of our St. Catharines Church members, a guy named Darren Peters. Darren, say hi to everybody. Hey, hey. Um, orient us to a little bit of your life, your family, your background, whatever, just to kind of start things off. And uh, then we'll get into the real meat and potatoes we want to talk about today. Sure. Uh, I grew up in St. Catharines. I actually attended this church from a very young age, possibly when I was born. Um, I grew up here, went to Rock University for computer science, did a bachelor's and a master's degree there. Um, I have worked as a web developer in a previous career. I'm currently working for Canadian Tire Financial Services doing predictive modeling. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Amy, whom I, I met through a church exposure trip, actually, to Guatemala. And we have two kids, uh, two boys, Kieran, he's turning four in May, and Declan is turning one in April. Very good. What people may not know is that you are also the uh, grandson of our founding pastor. So when you yeah. talk about being uh, born into the church, you uh, literally were kind of born in your family, would have been sort of lifers uh, in our in our community. And uh uh, from the very beginning, kind of born in and, and experienced life in our church. Uh, from that perspective, Darren, uh, do you have any uh, sort of reflective memories of growing up at Southridge that are kind of top of list? Yeah, yeah. Well, I do remember your first sermon, but I wasn't going to touch you, you on do. that. Yeah. <laughs> what would Jesus say to Don so I don't remember the sermon. I remember you giving the first sermon. Okay. But, um, What's this clown doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, and like I was young when, when obviously growing up in the church, I didn't pay attention to the sermons that much as like a six or seven year old. But I remember going to the library before church, grabbing like a search and find book and like sitting in the service, just like leafing through this while grandpa preached. Um, but I guess my, my fondest memories would be senior youth uh, with Dave Weens Jr. Oh, yeah, um, brother-in-law. Yeah, what, what, I, what I recall most fondly about that is that the leaders themselves seem to be best friends, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like we were just hanging out with them, and they were where they wanted to be on a Friday night, and it was, uh, it was a special time. Very cool. Uh, knowing that from the time you were leafing through those books <laughs> to today, uh, a lot's changed. Uh, what are you enjoying or feeling good about, or what do you love most about our church these days? Yeah, I'd say definitely the, uh, there's no complacency here. There's no, oh, you know, we're comfortable here. Let's just chill, you know, mm -hmm. um, this, this whole love beyond belief journey we've been on and, and the focus on being like an action-based church, I think, uh, definitely separates us from, from other churches mm -hmm. in the area. Um, so that's why I keep coming. Yeah. It's not a, uh. Talked about this in our our uh, vision night matinee uh, conversation that this this isn't the kind of environment that is seeking to become comfortable. Quite the opposite, we're actually trying to kind of push the envelope for how we can get outside of our comfort zones so that God can have the greatest transformational value in and through us uh, as possible. And so, yeah, if you're looking to get comfortable, this probably isn't the place for you. Oh. I would say. Um, Speaking of which, want to uh, enter into what has been an amazing story around here lately, uh, from my perspective, and I'm excited that you were willing to sit down uh, and share this with us, uh, that has to do with your role as a parent. You said mm -hmm. you've been a parent for uh, just over four years now, and uh, so a few years ago, uh, you and your wife Amy had your very first child. First things first, what was it like uh, as a new parent to just become a parent? Do you remember back then what... 
you were thinking and feeling life was going to be like. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a massive introvert and I crave a ton of alone time. So <laughs> so that that was a huge difficulty. I I think it's almost impossible to know ahead of time just how much free time you lose when you become a parent it literally disappears into nothingness and so that was I, I think the hardest adjustment for me early on was like okay I literally have no more time for myself ever um, obviously that changes as the months go by um, but that was the biggest shock to me um, I think th these days I'm, I'm really enjoying the the like three to four year old phase where you know he's kind of starting to make little like logical connections here and there like he's focusing on like this happens because this happens and like he gets it backwards half the time but you know that's kind of I'm really enjoying like yeah. paying attention to that and, and seeing how he's developing there. I don't know if you're like me but I was not wired for the little kid. No, I, yeah, I'm enjoying yeah. a lot more uh, kids who can engage in conversation and right, even, in, right. even in deeper, more uh, uh, engaging conversation <laughs> as they become and, and enter into uh, teenage years. So, uh, yeah, there's more fun ahead even, I, I would say. Um, as a newer parent or, uh, you know, what did you feel outside of the you lose your life in that <laughs> sense? Um, yeah. What would you feel like? you know now that as a newer or non-parent you, you didn't know then just as a bit of free parenting advice yeah so so besides the free time thing i would say uh take every offer of help that is offered to you remember early on we were we were very much uh you know trying to push for boundaries like everyone should respect our boundaries you know we want to keep our kids here uh we don't want everyone just dropping by whenever or when people would say you know can we help or like you know what is this really best for the kid this time, I think early on we should have just said yes to everything because it was, it was. Uh, we felt like we were drowning, you know, even before before we're going to talk about moving forward. But yeah, yeah, wow. So, for those of us who are in those earlier stages, don't be too proud. Yeah. Don't don't feel like you need to prove that you can parent on your own. You were yeah. never intended to parent on your own, and totally. uh, it's sort of that it takes a village uh, to raise a family. Lean into that uh, early on. Uh, four years ago or so, when you first became parents, can you talk a little bit about how you imagined your family growing and developing? Yeah, like Amy came from a family of uh, three kids. So she has a brother and a sister. And I came from a family of two kids. I just have my brother. Um, so we were always on the fence. Like, do we have three kids? We have two kids. We were very anti-minivan. So, you know, <laughs> we were leaning towards two kids. Stick but it to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like, you know, we'll see how things go. Um, so we were kind of waffling between, between two and three for a long time. Hmm. So, you know, four years, years ago, you become parents, you're learning some of these things, you've got a vision for the life of your family. And at some point you discovered something just wasn't right with your new son, Kieran. Hmm. Describe that uh, kind of moment or era or how you entered into some new challenges. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's two phases to this. Uh, the first is a bit of a story. So it was right. It was actually the day he turned six months old. And I, I remember this vividly because Amy and I were talking the morning he turned six months. We're like, wow, like he's half a year old. And it only feels like in the past two weeks, he's gotten like easier. Like he'd started to sleep more predictably. He had, you know, he had colic as an infant. So, you know, we didn't sleep, sleep that well. So things were kind of turning around. We're like, wow, you know, we're getting the hang of this. We're starting to really enjoy this parenting thing. It was December 1st. So we're moving into the Christmas season. We're like, all right, first Christmas with uh, our, our new baby. And then he had, I'm going to call it a seizure-like event. Um, and it was, you know, his body was kind of contracting involuntarily. You can tell the baby, you know, they, they move in odd ways all the time. But I could tell it was, um, it was completely involuntary and just kind of being forced on him. Um, and it happened, like, on and off, like, every minute or two for about 20 minutes. 
um, which was pretty scary. So we took him to St. Catherine's Hospital. Um, I didn't film it because in the moment, you don't, you're not really prepared to do that sort of thing. But I found a YouTube video that looked very similar. We showed the ER um, triage nurse and, you know, they, they admitted us. Uh, we were there for 20 hours. Um, he saw five different doctors. We told the story, you know, showed the video so many times. Right. He had like an ultrasound of the brain. Um, at one point, one of the doctors came in and, and she counted his birthmarks because he has a few birthmarks. Mm. She's like, oh, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, that's fine. Moving on. In the end, they're like, uh, okay, we booked an EEG, which is like an electrical brain scan. Yeah. It's like three to four weeks from now. And after it's done, you got to book your own follow-up. So we were, we were less than enthused with that response from the hospital. Um, but they discharged us because he had had no further events like over the past day um, with instructions. Like if it happens again, like take him back in. So nothing happened during the, the next few days, um, but we were obviously watching him like a hawk. Yeah. And then uh, we noticed he started doing it just before, like as he was falling asleep for naps. So I was actually able to catch a video. Um, I filmed the video monitor uh, with, with my phone. Oh, wow. Okay. And then we're like, after Good we weren't, idea. <laughs> we weren't thrilled with St. Catherine's, so we took him straight to McMaster, uh, got there, sh- showed them the video, and within five minutes, we were seeing the ER pediatrician. And... I remember, you know, we took all of Kieran's clothes off because I do that to examine him. And he's like, oh, he's got a lot of birthmarks. I remember thinking, oh, like the birthmarks again. It's kind of it's kind of an odd coincidence that he would focus on that. He's like, so let's count them. So he counted eight. So funnily enough, the one doctor in St. Catherine's was on to something, but she couldn't count right or something. I don't know. Like she, or them, she yeah. didn't see enough of them. So yeah. he counted eight and he's like, I'll be right back. So he walked away. Um, then he came back with a piece of paper. And on the paper was one word. It said neurofibromatosis. Um, so he said, this is a, a genetic disorder um, and birthmarks are kind of like the hallmark. They're called cafe au lait spots, the, wow. the birthmarks. Okay. So it's kind of like, you know, milk and coffee mixed together. That's, that's yeah. the color. Um, so he said, you know, seizures are, are an uncommon but not rare symptom of this genetic disorder. And he's like, I've booked you an EEG for tomorrow morning and you're going to have a follow-up with our top neurologist immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. So... You know, kind of scared that there's now a This is all pre-Christmas. This is like, whoa. This is within the span of about a week, maybe even less than a week. Um, So kind of, you know, happy that we're getting some some immediate action on this. Having to, you know, wait four weeks and then fall up on our own was not, we were not thrilled with that. So getting that that scan the next day and a follow-up immediately was was a bit of a weight off our shoulders. But now we had had like a name, right? And he he didn't formally diagnose him. He's like, just like, this is just, you know, a hunch I have. Yeah. Uh, so we come in the next day for the, the, the EEG, and it comes back. Uh, the, the neurologist said, what was her name? I think she said immaculate was her word for it. Mm-hmm. Like it was perfect. So no, no marks of epilepsy or anything. So that was, that was nice. But yeah. she's like, but the birthmarks are still, you know, they're still setting off red flags. She says anytime someone has six or more of these, it's almost impossible that that would just happen by coincidence. Mm. Um, there's usually some, maybe not always neurofibromatosis, but some sort of genetic issue yeah. at hand. So they sent away for a genetic test, um, and they sent us on our way. So that's kind of phase one um, of the discovery. How long from phase one was there the next phase? Two months. Two months. Okay, yeah. so what happens? Tell that part yeah. of the story. Yeah, so, so the next two months, uh, obviously I'm doing tons of research. I'm a, I'm a bit of a hyper-analytical person. Um, I'm doing tons of research on on neurofibromatosis. It's it's known as NF1 uh, for short in the yeah. community. So I'm seeing there's like hundred different symptoms that can appear. Nobody gets all of them. Um, nobody gets none of them. 
uh, and it's actually impossible to predict what you're going to get, which is for someone like me who's a bit anxious, that's yeah. that's not good. It's like you don't know. You just got to wait and see what will happen. <laughs> so I'm, I'm reading more. There's there's officially no approved medication for any symptom of the disease. Um, it's a it's a tumor based disease. So the hallmark is these cafe au lait spots, but also um, little I would say little benign tumors that grow under the skin. Um, some people have like maybe two or three throughout their lifetime. Others can have thousands. Um, they become quite disfigured. Mm. Um, chemotherapy doesn't work. Radiation doesn't work. Nothing seems to work. So it's kind of like, just wait and see how disfigured your son how, becomes. How, how many tumors your kid's going to, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's a number of those. So I was, I was watching like a hawk and, you know, he's six months and these things generally don't start appearing till like later in life. Okay. But still, you're still terrified. Yeah. Um, then one day I'm sitting feeding him lunch. I notice his right eye is moving in and out constantly mm-hmm. like very Im- almost imperceptibly but if he's completely still you can see it yeah. so i'm thinking oh, that, that you know i've never not read anything about this relating to nf1 yeah. eye flicker maybe yeah maybe i just move and i'm just you know being crazy yeah. so but anyway i called it in i called i called the neurologist and mentioned it uh and she said i've contacted uh, an ophthalmologist um and he said you should get an emergency mri so Emergency MRIs don't happen immediately, even in the pediatric world. It was about four weeks away. Wow. Um, so we met with the ophthalmologist. Um, we were talking about it, and he said there's basically two options to what's going on here. Uh, one is a symptom called sphenoid wing dysplasia, um, which basically means the, the skull bone that separates your brain from your eye socket um, has thinned or disintegrated. Um, so the electrical pulses of the brain are causing the eye to move. It's not stable. It's not stable. Yeah. Um, it also leads to, um, you know, a bit of an asymmetrical skull. Yeah. Or he said there's there's a tumor growing behind the eye. Um, and if that's the case, the kind of tumor that is growing, um, it can become as large as two liters in volume. Um, and again, chemotherapy doesn't work. Yeah. Radiation doesn't work. Yeah. He could become extremely disfigured. Yeah. Um, and he's like, until we have the MRI, I can't tell you which. Yeah which it is. Um, so at that point, we, I basically fell into a massive anxiety attack yeah. that lasted until the MRI results came back and then, and then it perpetuated afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And how long, how long was it from the MRI to the MRI results? Yeah. So that's something I've learned over the years is you cannot read into when your MRI results come back. Um, uh, it's just, or like, you know, the doctor's tone of voice or whatever. So the MRI results, we had MRI three, three weeks later um, with sedation, obviously, because he's a 10-month-old. Um, they came back, I would say, four weeks later. And they came back negative uh, for the tumor, um, but positive for spina wing dysplasia, which is showing that his, his that bone was essentially disintegrating. Mm-hmm. Talk about in this whole phase then what it was like to kind of experience this getting to the bottom of discovering what was going on. <laughs> Obviously, that was hard. <laughs> Give some more description, though, Darren, to, to how that really felt. Yeah, so I, I think I, I distinctly remember telling someone at work for the first time. It was, a, it was probably a month after, you know, we initially noticed something was going on and they sent away for genetic testing. When I started to tell her, I literally had an out-of-body experience where I was watching myself from the ceiling of the work cafeteria tell the story. Mm-hmm. It was like my, my brain couldn't handle this being my life yeah. or my son to the yeah. point where it like literally dissociated myself from my body. Yeah. Haven't had one since, but that was the weirdest, the weirdest part of it. I did sink into um, what I know now was an anxiety disorder. Yeah. Um, eventually got some help from that from a doctor. Yeah. 
Um, and, uh, you know, discovering that that was actually a thing that can be helped with medication. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know, you know, I, you know about depression and antidepressants yeah. and all that anxiety, anxiety. I just felt like, oh, yeah. that's just who I am. Um, right. That this, that this could be so, this could be so beyond my capacity. Yeah that I'm going to need help coping with yeah. how, to, how to navigate this as yeah. a support. Yeah, I cry. I cried to work every day in the car. I would leave and just ball in my car. Yeah. Like, I'd just take breaks and do that. Yeah. Um, I think I was I was essentially mourning Kieran. Like, not that he was going to die. It's not a life-threatening disease, usually. Um, but I was just mourning the life I thought he would have, mm-hmm. right? So, And in these early in this early era kind of the the, the diagnosis era um would you be able to look back now and say even in the midst of that i experienced a a reality of god's presence and activity or not what was the the god factor how did that feel in that era yeah definitely closer to not um there was I'd say I, I moved immediately into a bargaining phase, I would say, yeah, yeah. because there's the two options, right? There's like, okay, um, either his his sphenoid wing is disintegrating or he's going to have a massively disfiguring facial tumor. Yeah. I was like, God, like, I will do anything for it not to be the second option, yeah. right? And like intellectually, I know that's, even in the, in the moment, I know yeah. that's, a, that's a stupid thing to be praying for, but I just didn't have anything else. I was also questioning like, generally the fairness of life like you always hear about only oh, like people die because they get they get cancer or there's natural disasters but in my head i was i would say naively i was always kind of like rationalizing it oh like you know most people get cancer because they live an unhealthy lifestyle or you know the poor diet um natural disasters could be caused mm-hmm. by global warming which is human influenced but kieran's only crime in this situation was being born yeah 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 and the 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 real time experience of, I mean, the theoretical question is why bad things happen to good people. But when you actually get into why this level of intensity of a thing happened for no other reason to someone who hasn't even contributed consciously anything adverse to society yet. Yeah. And it's your son. Um, yeah. Now, now you're in the big leagues of messing with deep, questions and confusions about God and faith for sure. Um, since that era of preliminary diagnosis, you guys have been navigating some treatment and this has been its own parenting challenge. Yeah. Talk about that. Totally. Um, as I mentioned before, there's a number of different symptoms that, that one can get with, with NF1. Um, and they monitor the, you know, ever since his initial diagnosis of sphenoid dysplasia, um, he'd been having, um, biannual or annual MRIs just to monitor the progress, yeah. um, of that bone. And so, you know, we would, uh, we'd have MRI would generally come back. Okay. It's progressing, but only in proportion to how the rest of him is growing. Like, okay, fine. So, you know, maybe like his, uh, it's called the fossa, like your middle um, cranial bone. It's expanding a little bit because the sphenoid bone isn't there to, to regulate it, but, yeah. but it's only growing as much as he's growing. So, you know, there was, there was a little bit of st- stability there from, I would say one year to, to two and a half years. Um, so we'd have those every six months MRIs, it'd come back stable. We're like, okay, you know, we're getting, we're getting some normalcy going. Um, I did notice on his back, he had a couple of those little skin tumors I mentioned, but you know, he only had like two or four. I was feeling pretty good about 
the stability, there was some progression in the um, academic side of the field. They're, you know, they're working on some drug discovery, nothing approved yet, but things are looking promising. So, you know, we're starting to get in a bit of a rhythm with life, starting to be okay with things again. And so that's when Amy started asking me about having a second child. And, you know, that was a conflict within me because Kieran is not a child that will be, um, well, he is a child that will need a bit more special treatment. Not like he's special and needs, you know, like extra time. Like it's just, you know, just it's just reality of a situation, yeah. right? It's going to require extra attention, no yeah. matter what. There yeah. were doctor's yeah. appointments every three months yeah. at, at yeah. the very, at the very yeah. least, um, even at two, two and a half. So, you know, after after a lot of thought and a lot of a lot of discussion, um, we did conceive Declan, uh, and two months later, Kieran had an MRI to check on the status of his dysplasia. Um, that came back stable, but they also noticed he had now grown two optic nerve tumors. Meaning now there are tumors growing behind his eye. Yes, in the optic nerve. Um, Again, not cancerous, um, but tumors all the same. Um, They're called low-grade gliomas. So they're they're non-aggressive tumors, but they do grow. Uh, And if they grow unchecked, eventually you will be rendered blind. Yeah. So at that point, they uh, suggested some treatment or some way of addressing that? It's... Yeah, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a, a weird symptom. Um, I would say genetically healthy people can get these low grade gliomas as well. Counterintuitively, if you're genetically healthy and you get one of these, it's more aggressive than if you have NF one. Mm. They tend to be very docile um, in NF one kids, mm. and sometimes they just randomly disappear. Um, like I said, mm. it's not a very well understood disease because it's so rare. Um, so typically, the first step is just to monitor. You know, if he's asymptomatic, he has the tumors, but he can still see fine. Um, they might not grow. Why send him through chemotherapy? Yeah. Um, so the first thing they did was schedule an eye test. Um, his left eye seemed to be seeing perfectly, but his right eye, they weren't sure. I'm still not sure if his right eye is not seeing perfectly. Right. You know, it's the eye that right. moves. Maybe that bothers him. He could just be not cooperative because he's a three-year-old stuck in a small room yeah. being told to read letters off a projector. Like yeah. there, there's a lot of there's a lot of variables, but they did the test twice, two weeks apart, and both times only the right eye failed. So at that point, you can't take the chance. Yeah, yeah. So so they recommended uh, they recommended chemotherapy. And uh, describe what that looks like as a family navigating <laughs> chemotherapy for a three-year-old. Yeah, three-year-old and and Amy is now at this point you know, five weeks, five months pregnant. So we know, you know, (laughs) once this treatment goes, I'm going to be going back to work, you know, after a a short parental leave I had booked. And then it's going to be Amy with a baby and Kieran, uh, doing weekly chemotherapy, um, at McMaster hospital. So drives to Hamilton, drives to Hamilton. Yep. Niagara, Niagara will not touch pediatric cancer patients. Um, so it's a, it's a weekly, it's a weekly treatment. Um, it's a drug called vinblastin. It's a you know pretty standard drug. It's used in a lot of different regimens. Yeah. Um, they call it like a low and slow method. So it's every week, but it's a it's a low dose, so as not to um, create too many side effects. We still don't know if he actually gets any side effects other than uh, like a white blood cell count decrease. Like he seems a bit tired on Wednesday nights. Wednesday is the treatment day. But again, he's a he's a three and a half year old who yeah. would probably be tired because he hasn't napped anyway, and it's a long day driving to Hamilton and back. So. Um, and just for context, so that uh, those of us listening and kind of entering into this story, that this has been your life for the past year. Yes. Yes. Last Wednesday was the 52nd treatment. 
you know, the 50 second treatment. Well, yeah. just at a practical level, what does it take from the two of you or your circle of supports to live this life every week? <laughs> yeah. So I, I got to give huge props to my wife, Amy, because she's the one going every week, right? I, I'm, I'm the one working full time. I have some sick time, but not a ton. Um, early on, I went to a bunch of appointments. Um, but I'll say I got to give um, huge credit to, I'm going to say Pauline Buma. Hmm. It's the one name I'm going to name and, and call it as someone that's been unbelievably helpful through this process. Um, she set up a framework by which people could volunteer uh, to drive with Amy on mm-hmm. Wednesday mornings so that she's not by herself with a newborn yeah. um, and Kieran. So that that was immensely helpful just on a practical level. Um, as far as us us being parents, interacting with each other, um, early on in Kieran's diagnosis, we did Sunday night check-ins. This was during my anxiety episode um, where I was basically useless as a, as a father and a husband. Um, not that I was like, um, actively like sabotaging things. I was just kind of like a shell of a person. Um, so Amy said, you know, we need to talk about life every Sunday night or like we're going to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was really, really helpful. Um, and honestly, for me personally, I'm going to say I'm on an SSRI, Ciprolex. Um, and it did, it did wonders for pulling me out of out of, I would say the depths. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, uh, that, uh, a medical support yep. to your mental health helped. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And I know, I know there's stigma there, but I, you know, I'm not ashamed. Yeah. It helped. It literally helped. Yeah, it I maybe mean, saved our few, marriage. Yeah. It was a few weeks ago that we had Mackenzie Hamilton on blue yep. Monday. Yeah. Uh, listen to that. Sharing a bit yep. of his story. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's end the stigma and, and talk about how, uh, the mental aspect of our physical health, uh, also gets affected and can get affected medically mm-hmm. and, and support in those ways. Absolutely. Um, looking ahead now, so how does this story progress from here? This is one of those in our monthly rhythm of our podcast. We want to provide some personal stories of people who are living in the trenches of a life of faith, uh, kind of no matter what, say good, bad, or ugly, like complicated as opposed to ideal or theoretical. How does the story progress from here? (laughs) Well, as I mentioned, NF1 is a very unpredictable disease. So Kieran's prognosis is unknown. Yeah. You have no idea. No. Yeah. That that's for, for everyone listening. Like that's where we're at. This is not a happily ever after. This is not a story concluded. This is not a, this is a conversation of a family in our community uh, navigating, not just being new parents, not mm. just being new parents now of multiple kids, but, you know, having a little kid, uh, who's in the mix of, or in the midst of, uh, way more medical complication and attention than your average three, four year old. And, uh, un- unsure of where this is going to go in the meantime or in the moment even Darren what what would you say that you've learned so far about navigating these kinds of intense parenting challenges yeah so i'm going to i'm going to go negative actually it's like one thing i want to emphasize is i think like when you're watching like a disney movie or something you know like the hollywood story of like a uh, a troubled child or a child that is undergoing a lot of challenges they seem to be like a perfect child outside of that that realm. 
So outside I, of that one issue. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's easy. And I probably have this mindset as well that sure, you know, Kieran is going through all these challenges, but that must make him so strong that the rest of life is a breeze for him and us. But we still go through those regular parenting challenges like any other parent and they're on top of this and they're they're just as difficult (laughs) they they don't become any easier just because of that yeah regular regular discipline (laughs) totally right regular tantrums regular sleeplessness regular on top of this yep right like i would say our biggest day-to-day challenge right now is not the chemotherapy it's the fact that declan can crawl and stand on things and take kieran's toys yeah and you know i i would say toddlers place a lot of security in being able to control their environment and now that his younger brother is invading that, he's like he's having meltdowns all yeah, the time. Yeah. And th- that's that's more of a detriment right now to us <laughs> than the chemotherapy. Yeah. So I, I just say, like, you know, there's not always a silver lining. Um, life isn't like that. Yeah. Life isn't the Disney movie. That's a great lesson. In in the context of that, what would you say that you've learned about God through all this? And what impact has all this had uh, on your faith, on yours and Amy's faith and your relationship with each other? Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing um, was how little the disputable matters actually matter to me now. Hmm. Um, not speaking for the church, obviously, just just for myself, but seeing all the meetings we've had about um, the LGBTQ inclusion, they're good good meetings to have, but I'm left wondering why churches and the conference aren't having emergency meetings about what we can do to serve the poor more, or why certain churches aren't being as generous with their, with their material possessions. You mentioned that in the Bible, there's 2,500 mentions of, you know, giving to the poor and five mentions of, of homosexuality. And it just seems, I don't know, my priority, my priorities have totally rearranged in in light of that. Uh, Just, just seeing, you know, what, what matters to me and what matters to me about my, my kids Mm. and the church. Yeah. It's changed a lot. It's interesting because I mean, I knew you growing up too as a kid and knew your family and, you know, we've had a a friendship over the years. Um, There was probably a time in your life where you would have cared a lot more about those meetings. Absolutely. And and that kind of stuff, those kinds of conversations. On one side of the fence or another, totally. Yeah. I I took, I take a very academic approach to faith. Yeah. Um, And so like those, that, that minutia is very interesting to me or was very interesting to me. Yeah. No matter what side of the fence I actually landed on, it would have been of great importance to me. And, and in the midst of real human crisis and real life challenge, uh, your priority grid just got completely upended. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a great word. So, uh, wrapping this up, Darren, would you have any final kind of encouragements or challenges to our members when it comes to either navigating different seasons in our own lives or even maybe specific to parenting challenges, kind of whatever your final encouragement would be? Yeah, I found the, the most helpful thing um, for me um, mentally was just, just making a conscious decision to not play the victim. Um, when I was in that, that anxiety episode in my life, I was constantly feeling victimized by my own circumstances. Um, and that led to a cycle of self-pity. Um, and then it becomes this negative feedback loop, right? Self-pity becomes more feeling like a victim becomes more self-pity. Yeah. Um, and that choice that, you know, I'm not a victim of my circumstance um, and we will overcome this. Um, has made a tangible difference in my attitude and the way my day-to-day life plays out. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That's a great way to, to wrap this up. Gang, thanks for joining us uh, for another edition of this conversation, and especially entering in to uh, a real-life story in the uh, course of our uh, church community across our locations. 
it's just a privilege for us to be able to be this extended family to one another. And Darren, it's great to see, uh, you mentioned some by name and others not by name. It's, it's great to see the reality of it taking a village to raise families and raise uh, kids in this case uh, in the way that God would have. So blessings to you and Amy. Thanks for sharing your story with us. And thanks uh, to all of you for joining us uh, for another edition of Finding Our Way. We'll see you next week. <laughs>